Welcome to the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman, where Jerry reads a chapter from the New Testament and gives us key insights and life applications along the way. For more information about the Solid Life Journal and reading plans, visit solidlives.com. And now, let's get into today's reading. All right, Luke chapter 20. Let's jump into it. Here's what it says. Now it happened on one of those days as he taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel. Don't you love that, that Jesus was a preacher of the gospel? He was, in a sense, uh, not counting the Old Testament's prophesying about the, the gospel. He was the first one that was initiating the new covenant and the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was the first one to preach this in that sense. And so it says he preached the gospel that the chief priests and the scribes together with the elders confronted him and spoke to him saying, tell us by what authority are you doing these things? Or who is it who gave you this authority? See, they were all into the rules and the hierarchy of how things work and such. And he, he spoke with such confidence as if he knew what he was talking about. They thought, he must think that he has some kind of a commission to do this because of the way that he speaks. So watch this. They're asking him, tell us by what authority you are doing these things or who gave you this authority. Now watch how he responds. But he answered and said to them, I will also ask you one thing and answer me. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? Of course, this is talking about John the Baptist, who is Jesus' cousin, by the way. Was it from heaven or was it from men? And they reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us, for they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So listen to this. Just the way that they processed that question to give an answer or not tells us that they didn't have any confidence in what John said or they weren't willing to receive it. Maybe they suspected that John really was speaking for God, which he was. His job was to prepare, prepare people for the coming of Jesus. But when they're coming off, uh, coming away from Jesus and conferring, well, if we say this, he'll say this. But if we say that, the people will, you know, be upset at us. Well, what kind of a way is that to answer the question? Is John's ministry, was it from heaven or was it from men? Not what will be an answer that puts you in the best light. Oh, people play politics in the kingdom of God and religious people do this all the time. We should be answering truth and not answering to put us in the best light. So they came back. Here's what they said, verse 7. So they answered that they did not know where it was from. They didn't know whether John's ministry was from heaven or from men. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. In other words, you won't answer my question. I'm not going to answer your question. But it was really even more than that. Because here John was out there preaching his heart out. I mean, sacrificing. He did not live in a nice home and ride a nice car or camel. It said that he wore camel skin, had a leather belt around his uh, waist, and he ate locust and wild honey. This is a man who sacrificed to be out in the wilderness. That was the prophecy, a voice in the wilderness, a crying, prepare the way of the Lord. This man, John, sacrificed 
to get the message of the kingdom to the people of God. And Jesus is, in essence, here, not only saying, if you don't answer my question, I won't answer yours, but also, if you don't respect John's ministry and you can't declare that that's, uh, that was from heaven, then if I tell you that my authority comes from heaven, you're not going to have any respect for mine either. See, and so that's why he didn't answer. Verse 9, then he began to tell the people this parable. So notice he was talking to the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious rulers, but now he's going to talk to the people. A certain man planted a vineyard, leased it to the vine dressers, and went into a far country for a long time. Now at vintage time, he sent a servant to the vine dressers that they might give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the vine dressers beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent another servant, and they beat him also, treated him shamefully, and sent him away empty-handed. And again, he sent a third, and they wounded him also and cast him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Probably they will respect him when they see him. But when the vine dressers saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. And when they heard it, they said, Certainly not. Then he looked at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Of course, the stone is Jesus, which the builders, the Jewish people, rejected when he came and even said, Crucify him, crucify him, right? But this stone has become the chief cornerstone. And of course, Jesus is the chief cornerstone to the body of Christ. He's the head and we're the body. Okay, verse 18. Jesus goes on to say, Whoever falls on that stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind into, grind into powder. So it's better for us in humility to fall on the stone of the Lord and to be broken by humility, by submission to authority and such. But if we don't do that, then the stone will end up falling on us and grinding us to powder. I don't know about you, but I want to fall on the stone. I want to fall before Jesus and humble myself before the master. Verse 19, And the chief priests and the scribes that very hour sought to lay hands on him, but they feared the people. They hated that he was talking this language, telling this parable that uh, they weren't doing a good job. They knew he was speaking. Another gospel says they knew he was speaking this parable about them. It says, in fact, this one I think says it too. It says, And the chief priests and the scribes that very hour sought how they might lay hands on him, but they feared the people, listen, for they knew he had spoken this parable against them. So here it is right here. They knew that. They knew that. They were the ones rejecting the chief cornerstone. Verse 20. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be righteous that they might seize on his words in order to deliver him to the power and the authority of the governor. That, then they asked him, saying, Teacher, we know that you say and teach rightly, and you do not show personal favoritism, but teach the way of God in truth. <laughs> so they're setting him up, and they're 
making him think that they esteem him, trying to make him think that they esteem him uh, so that he'll answer along the lines of what they're saying. You don't, you don't really care about uh, showing personal favoritism to anybody. And you just teach the way of God in truth. And then they ask this question, is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? So notice they're pulling him into politics and wanting him to make a statement as to whether he is against Caesar and the Roman government and oversight or whether he is pro. Well, they don't think that he's going to say, oh, man, I love Caesar. I love the Roman leadership and oppression over our people, taxation and such. You know, they believe he's going to say something. They're hoping that he says something against the Romans with which they can accuse him to the governor of the Romans. Okay, but he perceived their craftiness and said to them, why do you test me? Show me a denarius, which is a coin, whose image and inscription does it have? And they answered and said, Caesar's. And he said to them, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Well, those coins were made by Caesar, the Roman Empire, distributed all through the empire. And he said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but render to God the things that are God's. Boy, uh, there was so much that they were not giving to the Lord the proper honor, allegiance, obedience, tithe, many of them. And so he said, and give to God the things that are God's. Verse 26, but they could not catch him in his words in the presence of the people, and they marveled at his answer and kept silent. Then some of the Sadducees who deny that there is a resurrection, can you imagine that? They hear they're Sadducees, they believe in the Bible, but they didn't believe in the afterlife, that there would be a resurrection after death. And uh, maybe that's why they were Sadducee. <laughs> a little joke there, dumb one, but an old one. But the Sadducees uh, were not as doctrinally correct as the Pharisees were, because the Pharisees believed in the resurrection. They believed in angels and spirits in the spirit realm and such. The Sadducees denied all of that. And so... It says, the Sadducees came to him and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife, and he dies without children, his brother should take his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. I don't know if there really were, but uh, they were bringing this story as if it really happened. But they said, now, there were seven brothers, and the first took a wife and died without children. And the second took her as wife, and he died childless. Then the third took her, and in like manner the seven also. Uh, like manner the seven also, and uh, also, and they left no children and died. In other words, this lady was married to all seven brothers, and they all died, and none of them had any children. Well, <laughs> I don't believe in luck, but. If I did, I'd say this lady's bad luck because every, everybody that marries her dies. Okay, verse 32. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection. Now, it's interesting at the beginning of the passage, uh, the story, it says the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. But now they're asking him, in the resurrection, 
So why are they asking in the resurrection if they don't believe in it? Because they're trying to catch him saying something that is false or wrong just to accuse him. So they said, therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife does she become? She married all seven of these brothers as they were dying. She'd marry, you know, another one. Whose wife will she be in the resurrection? For all seven had her as wife. This likely was a scenario that they would talk about as they were explaining to one another or maybe to some up-and-coming Sadducees the doctrines that they believed and, and saying, you know, the resurrection. I mean, how is that going to work anyway? I mean, if, if a scenario like this happened, who would have this lady as wife? And because they didn't know the answer, they were thinking, well, this is part of the proof that it's not going to happen. Well, that has nothing to do with whether or not it's going to happen. Verse 34, Jesus answered and said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are counted worthy to attain that age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, nor can they die any more, for they are equal to the angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. But even Moses showed in the burning bush passage that the dead are raised. He's talking about resurrection. He's saying, even Moses that you esteem, even Moses showed in the burning bush passage that the dead are raised when he called uh, called the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. For he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Then, in other words, he's saying, if the Bible says God is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, but when he was saying that to Moses, it was some, oh, maybe four to five hundred years after Abraham, and maybe 450 after Isaac, maybe 400 years after Jacob. So he's saying they're all dead, but yet the Bible says he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jesus said he's not the God of the dead, but of the living. So in other words, there is an afterlife. And even the Luke 16 passage with the rich man and Lazarus and Lazarus and Lazarus going, not the same Lazarus Jesus raised from the dead, but a different Lazarus, a poor man, a beggar, who was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom, and the rich man was calling to Father Abraham. So you can see in the afterlife, Abraham was able to speak and to talk. So Jesus is just taking the scriptures that they love and proving to them that the scriptures say that there is resurrection and life after death. Verse 39, Then some of the scribes answered and said, Teacher, you have spoken well, but after that, they dared not question him anymore. And he said to them, how can they say that the Christ is the son of David? Now, David himself said in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, David calls him Lord. How is he then his son? Then in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the places at the feast, who devour widows' houses and for pretense make long prayers, these will receive greater condemnation. Now, what does that mean? Well, they used to have a pride about them, and they loved to be esteemed by people because of their role as scribes. I mean, they're copying the scriptures, so... They have some expertise in the law. 
but they would also devour widows' houses. Well, I don't know exactly how they were doing this, but it seems that they may have been uh, asking widows or giving the impression uh, that widows should be giving up what they have. They, if they really want to serve God, then you should be giving. It could be similar to how some pastors uh, make promises when they receive offerings in churches. And they'll say, you know, if you give $1,000, whoever gives $1,000 today is going to have something real special from God or whatever. Well, I'm not saying the Holy Spirit can never do that. But I can tell you this, that uh, a ministry that gets under financial pressure or that falls into the love of money can think that they're hearing those kind of prophecies all the time and causing people who are in a desperate financial position to want to sacrifice, almost like a, a lottery ticket, like, a, oh, the man of God said, if I give this $1,000 right now, that God's really going to do something special. Oh, I need it so bad, I'll, you know, I'll borrow it from my credit card and do it. Uh, but, you know, if, if somebody is doing that and taking advantage of people, notice God... God hates that. God hates that. Ministers are supposed to bless the people. That doesn't mean they're giving money to the people because it is scriptural for people to give tithes and offerings. But when we get up to preach and to share and to minister the word or to give an offering exhortation, it's so the people can be blessed, not so that they'll bless the pastor or the ministry. No, we need to be sharing truths that will help them to connect with God and let them hear from God and decide how they give. Somehow or another, the scribes were compromising here, and Jesus knew that. And so he was saying, man, they're walking in pride, but they're also taking advantage of people, even widows, even widows. And for pretense, they make long prayers. See, these prayers are not sincere. They're just praying eloquently so that people can see how smart they are, how, much, how many scriptures they can quote and such. And Jesus ends the chapter by saying, these will receive greater condemnation. So here, much was given to them because they're copying the scriptures. And so they know the word. They have the privilege of spending their life as scribes copying the word of God. But he said, these will receive greater condemnation. Why? Because to whom much is given, much is required. And uh, we know from James chapter 3 that James says, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we, so James was the teacher, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. So we're responsible when God has given us truths and revelation, and then we try to leverage that for our own carnal cravings. Oh, God doesn't look kindly on things like that. And Jesus was pointing it out here. Don't you love God's word? I mean, just, he hits so many areas. In fact, he really, he hits all the areas. The Bible applies to every area of our lives. It may not mention every area of our lives, but the principles and the truths in the Word of God apply to every area of our lives. Okay, that's chapter 20. I'll see you tomorrow for chapter 21. Thank you for joining us for the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman. And thank you to those of you who have partnered with Solid Lives to help get this daily podcast and other resources like it to thousands of people around the world. 
If you would like to partner with Solid Lives, visit solidlives.com give. To find out more about the ministry of Solid Lives, how you can be a part of this church planting and disciple-making movement, or for more great teachings and resources by Jerry, visit solidlives.com. We also want to invite you to check out Jerry's other podcast called The Jerry Dearman Podcast. Here, Jerry shares with us at least weekly from God's Word, challenging us and equipping us to fulfill the amazing plan that God has for our lives. You can find links to this podcast as well as Jerry's YouTube channel online at solidlives.com. Thank you again so much for joining us, and we'll see you right here tomorrow as we jump into the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman.